the difficult sayings of Jesus. You guys have been in this series, I hear, and you've been looking at these difficult sayings of Jesus. And this morning, I want to take a look at what's been for me, and maybe for many of you, the most difficult saying of Jesus, at least in my life. And I want us to see that this difficult saying is not just hard to hear, because I want to be honest, it's hard to preach. It's hard to talk about. Because this difficult saying is not just found in Matthew, it's found throughout all of Jesus' teachings. In fact, I would argue it is the central theme in all of Jesus' difficult sayings and all of his teaching. And we're going to see that we see this theme throughout actually the entire New Testament. But for some context, we're going to begin our time here looking uh, at this difficult saying from Jesus from Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. And then we're going to be in a little bit of Bible this morning, if that's okay. We're going to go have a little old school church service here. So if you've got your version app, get it open and get it ready to use. If you've got your Bible, get ready to use it. We're going to be in and around the Bible. Is that okay? All right, amen. So all right, we're going to jump right in for the sake of time. Matthew 16, I think it's on the screen, but if you've got it on your phone, here it is. Verse 24, it says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Then Jesus says to the people who are wanting to follow after him, He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Friends, what Jesus is saying here has profound implications on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow after Jesus. It also has profound implications on the way that you and I are called to relate to one another as Christians, the way that we're called to relate to the world around us. But right here off the top, I said we're going to be in a little bit of Bible this morning. I want us to now turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to look at verse 15 for a second. I'm going to read from just a little bit. and We're going to tie some stuff together here. But here from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, look carefully at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Underline that, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you may be wondering at first reading, at first glance, what does that really have to do with Matthew 16 and that difficult saying of Jesus, and that would be fair, but I want you to follow me here for a second. If we're going to follow after Jesus, if we're going to enter into his difficult sayings, if we're going to submit our lives to his authority and to his lordship in our lives, we are going to need supernatural power. We're going to need the Spirit of God in our lives. You see, in order for you and I to experience the Christian life, in order for you and I to enter into the hard sayings of Jesus, in fact, just to interact with his teachings in general, if we're going to experience life and relationships the way that we were created to experience them, 
If you're going to have the kind of relationships that you were meant to have with your children, with your parents, with your boss, with your siblings, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, friends, listen to this, you must be filled with the Spirit of God. See, a Christian worldview, a Christian set of lenses through which to view the world through requires the Christian, it requires the follower, follower of Jesus to actually be walking with Jesus, to be in tune with Jesus, to be filled with his power and his presence in our lives. And this morning, Jesus is saying to us, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, you've got to deny yourselves daily, take up your cross and follow me. It's hard to hear, right? Now in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has given us another practical look in what that looks like in the life of a Christian. But friends, if you only hear one thing, I want you to hear this. You simply cannot follow after Jesus, have the life and the type of relationships that you are meant to have with one another without the power and presence of God. You can't die to yourself on your own power. But how do you tap into the Spirit of God? How do you tap into his presence? How do you experience it practically day to day in your walk with Jesus and in your relationships with those that God has placed in your life? What does a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life actually look like? Well, to answer that question, we're going to spend some time in another set of texts. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. And as we look at Colossians chapter 3 briefly, we're going to look at two points. And if y'all remember from me from last time, I don't really like three-point sermons, but I have two points for y'all. And if I had three, it's going to be our time of communion. But we're going to look now at Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at first, you have to die to yourself. That's going to be our first point. And the second is going to be experiencing life in the Spirit. So die to yourself and experience life in the Spirit. But let's just jump right in. Following Jesus requires death. There's no easy way to say that. There's no way to skirt around that. Following Jesus requires death. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow after me, says Jesus, must take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose their life, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The Christian life requires death. And friends, listen, you're not going to find that in a self-help book. You're not going to find that in the three steps to a happier marriage. Or you're not going to find that in a relationship seminar or a YouTube guru. In order to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your walk with Jesus, you must first die to yourself. Read with me from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you, Christian, follower of Jesus, have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But now skip to verse 3. For you died, and your old life is hidden with Christ in God. But I love how the message translation puts it, and please don't send a nasty email to John and Nancy. I'm just going to read from the message translation to give us a better understanding of what this text actually means. But here, I love how it puts this text. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what what is going on around Christ, that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. 
your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. Friends, that's good news because if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your old life is dead. Your old you is dead. Your old agenda is dead. Your self-centered life is dead. This old life that was about you, that was centered around you, empowered by you, is now dead. But your new life is with Christ and it's centered around and it's empowered by the spirit of the living God. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. Guys, I'm just going to be honest. I have this, this unique seat in the life of the church in South Florida where I get to go to a lot of other churches. I spend time in a lot of other churches, preach in a lot of different churches. And I'm just going to give you just some overview that we kind of touched on last time. I think that we've really missed this point in the Christian life. I think we in the church today have become so focused on ourselves, our agendas, our view of the world, our wants, our needs, our desires, that we have completely forgotten what the Christian life is actually meant to look like. This isn't on the screen, but in James chapter 4, we're going to see this is not a new problem. I'm just going to quickly read this. The text says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come with the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, and you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Look around at the church today. Again, broad brush. Look around at the church today. Look around at Christianity today. And what you're going to find in a broad category is a lot of people who are fighting and quarreling with each other because they've bought the lie that we can just get a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of self-help. Let me get my miracle for the morning, my Instagrammable verse of the day. Let me put it on my Facebook timeline. That we've forgotten that in order for me to experience Jesus, in order for me to experience life in the spirit, to walk with Jesus, to experience relational health and wholeness with each other, we have to die to ourselves. In order for us to truly follow after Jesus, we've got to die to ourselves our agenda, and our old lives. You see, we want to hitch our wagon to the Jesus train, but we don't want to experience the cost of the ticket. Friends, listen. Jesus did not come down to earth to live a sinless life and die the death that you and I deserve just to save us, just to get us out of hell. He didn't resurrect from the dead three days later just to do those things. He did those things because he loves us, because he wants to save us, and because he wants to give us a new life, a new mind, a new identity, and a new relationship to him and a new relationship to each other in the church. You see, Jesus didn't die so we can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday talking about getting my miracle for the morning. He didn't die so you, you can put this verse of the day on Instagram or drink your coffee out of a too-blessed-to-be-stressed coffee mug. He died so that you can know him and experience the life that you were created to experience so that you can experience the type of relationships with one another that you were created to experience. And the first step towards doing that is acknowledging that the old Old you is dead, and that life is not about you. That life's not about me. A Christian worldview requires the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, to die to themselves day after day after day, hundreds of thousands 
of times. And I know that's not easy to hear. Again, this kind of preaching doesn't fill auditoriums, but we got to deal with this difficult saying of Jesus. But that's the bad news. There's good news. The good news is that the story doesn't stop there, which leads us to our second point. You see, the Christian life is a story about following Jesus. It's an invitation to a death and an invitation to a resurrection. It's an invitation to life with Jesus, to experience Jesus, and to be filled with his power and his presence through the Holy Spirit. You are called to die to yourself so that you can discover a resurrected life, a life the way that you were meant to live it. Let's go back to the message. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. So what does this resurrected life look like? What are the implications for those that we are in relationship with here in Greenhouse, here in other churches, or wherever God has placed your influence? And for that, we need to skip down to verse 12 of Colossians 3. Text says, therefore, and I had a seminary professor that says, every time you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to stop and ask, what is it therefore? So therefore, because your old life is dead, because the old you is dead, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all of these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's like seven sermons in that text. But you see, we're going to let the Bible just illustrate the point that I'm trying to make here this morning. Here you have a picture of what the Holy Spirit produces in us as we live our lives through the lens of our resurrected life. Through the power and presence of God in your life, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and with patience and bear with one another, forgive one another, let the peace of Christ rule your heart and let his message, let what he's done for you on the cross, what he says that you are, a beloved son and daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, more loved, accepted, and approved of than you could ever dare dream or imagine. Let that truth dwell amongst you and talk about it all the time. Sounds a lot like where we started this morning out of Ephesians chapter 5, doesn't it? But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But be filled with the Spirit. 
And friends, here's the picture and here's what that application actually looks like when we're called to die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily and to follow after Jesus, to put off our old life, to put on the new life. Here we're getting a picture of what that actually looks like in our lives. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and with patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you let the peace of Christ rule your heart and let love bind this all together just a few chapters over in the book of Galatians chapter 5 we get another picture of what this new life in Christ looks like we get the fruits of the spirit and you all know what the fruits of the spirit are they're what their kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control love joy and peace But if you're an English major in the house this morning, I've always found this curious. The text in our text and in the original text doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit are. It says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is singular. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love worked out in relationship to one another looks like peace, joy. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't want you to think about all those that God has called you into relationship with here this morning or maybe in, in your life. I want you to think about your spouse. I want you to think about your kids, your siblings, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. I want you to think about this past week. Think about phone calls that you've made, text messages that you've sent, social media posts that you have posted, maybe conversations that you've had. Think about where your mind goes at night when you place your head on the pillow. Where, is the, where do your thoughts go? What kicks up in you as you read the morning news or as you listen to the evening news? You see, when God created a church... When God called out a people to himself, he called us to be ambassadors of his kingdom to demonstrate what life and what relationships with one another were meant to look like. And friends, these are the types of characteristics that God had in mind as we die to ourselves and experience a new life. The kinds of characteristics God has for his church is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. See, if the church... If we, God's people here in South Florida, looked like that and talked like that, friends, we'd see revival in South Florida. I think we'd see revival throughout this entire nation. But I love my old Pentecostal friends. I'm recovering Presbyterians. I I like to read some Pentecostals because they remind me the Holy Spirit is actually real. British evangelist and Pentecostal revivalist Smith Wigglesworth puts it like this. I think it's on the screen. He says, the reason the world isn't seeing Jesus is that Christian people aren't filled with Jesus. They're satisfied with attending weekly meetings, reading the Bible occasionally, and praying sometimes, mostly when they have a need. It's an awful thing for me to see people who profess to be Christians as lifeless and powerless and in a place where their lives and in relationships are so parallel to an unbeliever's lives that it's difficult to tell what place they are in, whether they're in the flesh or whether they're in the spirit. Man. You see, friends, listen. That's from 1908. 
But we got a bunch of friends in the church today. We got a bunch of people in the church today running around Christian circles today thinking that we can just get a little bit of Jesus, that we can get a little bit of moralistic therapeutic deism, a little bit of moralistic therapeutic Jesus, and we can skip over the fact and over the reality that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you have to lose your life. You've got to die to yourself so that you can find a new life. Friends, Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on our behalf is not just to get out of hell free card. It's not just for salvation. It's to give us the power and the grace that we need in our lives to experience a death in our old life and, and the fruits of the Spirit that come when we live into our new life in Christ. That Smith Wigglesworth quote, like I said, is from 1908, but fast forward to 2023, and I think I actually quoted this last time that I was here, but it's just so staggering to me. Our friends at Barna Research did a study, and they found that 71% of Americans are actually open to discussing the teachings of Jesus and are interested on how Jesus' teachings impact their lives. 71% of our unsaved friends, neighbors, and coworkers are interested in learning about Jesus, yet that same study went on to say that only 9% of the unbelievers nationally surveyed had a positive view of a Christian that they knew in their life. Man, friends, that's a massive disconnect between what we claim to believe and how we actually live and how the world actually sees us. And I think it's because we've not wrestled with this difficult saying of Jesus that we've not quite died to ourselves to experience a new life in Christ. I think that it's possible that we can sit in church. I know this is true in my own life. I think it's possible that we can be sit in church and be moved by something, but not changed by something. I think we can be moved by something, but not changed by something. You see, you can be moved by the reading of God's word. You can be moved by the worship. But unless you enter into this life yourself, unless you pick up your cross daily and follow after Jesus and die to yourself, you will never, ever be changed. You're never going to actually experience the life that you were created to experience. And you're never going to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life if you just gloss over this text if you just gloss over this difficult saying of Jesus. See, I think that we've, that, that we've tried to come to church, that we've tried to come to our micro churches or our small groups and broader church events trying to get Jesus without actually dying to ourselves. I think we're searching so often on Google and coming to church looking at what are the formulas that I need. Give me some self-help. Let me come to church. Let me find just a little bit of Jesus. Let me get three steps to better parenting, four steps to happier marriages, five truths to dealing with difficult coworkers, ten irrefutable laws of leadership that we've actually bought the lie that we can follow Jesus and apply just some of his teaching without actually putting our old self aside, without actually dying to ourselves. But the Christian life and Christian worldview and Christian relationships require a death. They require Christ's death on our behalf and the death of ourselves. And Christian relationship, friends, here's the good news, also require resurrection. A resurrection of Christ and our new life in that resurrection as well. Which leads us to our last point, our time of communion together. If you haven't gotten communion elements, can you just raise your hand? Someone would be happy to bring you some elements of communion real quick. 
But I want to take some time to set up our time of communion and tie it into this whole difficult saying of Jesus because I think it's just such a perfect wrap-up of this series and our time together. I want you to know this, though. You see, Jesus didn't have all of these difficult sayings. He didn't come to us in Matthew 16 in our text this morning. And he didn't just say, now listen, go figure this out on your own. Go try harder. Go do more. Go get serious. Go pull up yourself by the bootstraps. No, 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 no. He said, remember, faith in Jesus, our salvation, is more than just a way to spend eternity with Jesus. It was to give us a new way of relating to God and a new way of relating to one another. You see, what Jesus did for us on the cross and what we remember in our time of communion as he came to accomplish something that we could never do on our own power. You see, Jesus' life on earth was lived for us and it was the perfect example of humility, of peace, of love, of patience, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He lived the example that he's calling us to model in our own lives and in our relationships to one another. And now he's giving us the power to do this through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. There's an old psalm that goes, or an old hymn that goes, My heart is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And friends, my heart is hardwired to forget these truths. My heart is hardwired to actually walk away from the Lord and not want to die to myself. Our hearts are idol factories. They're hardwired to worship ourselves, to worship other things, and to let so many things get in the way of actually experiencing life the way that we were created to experience it in Jesus Christ. You see, in this meal that we're about to take, the wine, the bread, it's a tangible reminder of two things. That Jesus came down from heaven, that he lived the life that you were called to live, died the death that our sin and our rebellion against God deserved, and in so doing allowed you and I to be reconciled, to be made right with him, but also to be reconciled with one another. In his resurrection from the dead three days later, he gave us the power to see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and in our relationship to one another. In Christ's death we died, and in his resurrection we can experience new life, a new relationship with God, and a new relationship with those around us. So as we end our time this morning taking the Lord's Supper together, we do so in light of this. And if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you identify as a Christian, as we prepare to eat this meal together, hear the words from our sermon text again. Because Christ lived for you, died for you, and resurrected from the dead to give you the power that you need to live the Christian life, your old life is dead. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you have been called to peace. 
be thankful as you remember. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And Greenhouse, this is what I want to tell you. If you're at odds with anybody in this room, if you're not in a good place with someone that God has placed you in relationship with this morning, if you're harboring anger, bitterness, resentment, pride, impatience with someone, here's what I think our text would ask us to do and what we're going to ask you to do here is I want you to just repent, to shoot a text message, maybe step out, make a phone call, but as much as it depends on you, the scriptures say, be at peace with all people because this meal is a meal of peace and it's a reminder that we have been made right with God and he is at peace with us. But if you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm still trying to process this. I'm not sure about what I believe. I would ask that you actually refrain from taking this meal because this meal is for the people of God. And it would be incongruent to have this meal with something that you don't yet believe, but rather sit and pray and ask God to reveal himself. The scripture makes it very clear that those who seek after God will find him. And if you need prayer, have our prayer partners that are going to be here at the end of the service come forward and receive prayer nothing would make us happier than to introduce you to the person of Jesus but greenhouse because you are dearly loved in Jesus Christ because your old life is dead you're called to put on your new life which is in Christ and this meal is a reminder of that so hear these words from 1 Corinthians. The scripture says, The Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took bread, and while he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and when you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we have wrestled with your difficult sayings. We've wrestled with your text this morning we've just gotten a quick glimpse and overview that you are calling us to die to ourselves to die to our old lives our old agendas all the the stuff that we bring to the table Lord and you've called us to put those before you to take up our cross daily to follow after you so that we can find new life and Lord, as we chew on that bread and as we reflect on that wine that we just took, Lord, could that be a tangible reminder that we are not alone, forsaken, or abandoned, that you are with us, that you are for us, that you journey alongside us, and what you have called us to do to die to ourselves, you will give us the power to do through your life, your death, and your resurrection, Father. Would we be known as a church as a people of God who are known for a new life, a resurrected life, a life that looks like love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, Lord. Would you start with me? Would you start with us, Lord, to move among us? Let the message of who you are and what you have done for us dwell among us. Give us the grace to talk about it all the time.